Well, happy Monday. Welcome to March the 14th and to a new week. And thanks for joining me for Enough for Today. I'm back in studio. This, this background is not nearly as interesting as a mountain site in the Holy Land or the empty tomb or Golgotha or uh, Galilee or some of the wonderful places that Kurt and I have been in the last two weeks. But it's good to be back home. It's good to be back um, in, my, in my warm sweaters on a cold Monday morning. Super, I got up crazy early this morning because my body clock is still off. And so the sun is not even up yet, but I've been praying for you as you start a new day and a new week. And I'm praying for a friend who lost his dad last night and so many people that I know that are bearing up under hardship, that are going through surgeries or treatments this, this month, uh, that are dealing with difficulties or discouragements. Um, and then we're praying for the world, aren't we? I mean, we're praying for people of Ukraine. We're praying for missionaries and, and Christians that are ministering to those people. And I know for a fact from personal testimony that the gospel is being given and shared and preached and uh, communicated all throughout Ukraine and to those refugees that are seeking uh, safety. So we wake up on a Monday morning, and I'm sure that if you've turned the news stream on, you've already been filled with bad news. But I want to give you some good news today. So I don't know when you're catching this, um, but but as we begin a new week, thanks for joining me. We're actually beginning a new psalm today, Psalm 38. We read it uh, really two weeks ago today, I think, is when I read this psalm with you. And we're going to do that again. And uh, I'm going to give you a big overarching thought, and then we'll uh, pick it up tomorrow. But thanks for joining me. I hope you'll tag along this week and share this with a friend. But enough for today. <clears throat> we, uh, right now at least, are going through Psalms. And we've gone through, I don't know, we're probably on our 60th or 65th Psalm. We take our time. We're slow walking. We're meditating, basically, together. We're considering. We're teasing out the implications, not only of what the ancient psalmist would have been thinking or experiencing from, from the words and the phraseology and the poetry, but how does that apply to our 21st century uh, mind and heart and life? <clears throat> In doing that, we're understanding God. We're understanding how to relate to Him because Psalms is God's medicine chest for the human experience, for the human heart. It is God, it's where you bring every human emotion and experience and discover how do you process that experience before God. Uh, emotions and experiences ebb and flow. And in the world, Jesus said, we'll have tribulation. But then he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So if you want the Lord Jesus to help you overcome the world and the emotions and experiences you're having, whatever they are, uh, Psalms is the place to go. Go in meditation, go in prayer, go in worship before your God. And it's kind of like entering into... Um, in a closed a surgical room where you're laying out your heart and your emotions and the, the chief surgeon of heaven is able to do surgery and rewire those emotions and show you truth and, and uh, bolster and strengthen and fuse you. Maybe he gives you infusions of grace and strength in that surgery room of the book of Psalms, but you come out with a lofty and a strengthened and a refreshed and a renewed view and a biblical perspective on what you're going through, what you're experiencing. And today we're going to talk about failure. Have you ever failed? Have you, uh, have you sinned recently? Have you let somebody down? Have you broken somebody's heart? Have you fallen off the, the, the road or the, off the horse, off the wagon, so to speak? Um, you may have been on a good track. You thought you were growing and doing well and you failed. 
Well, you know, God is very honest throughout Scripture to show us stories not of biblical heroes, but of failures. Pretty much every biblical hero that we think of is so awesome, you know. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Daniel, Gideon, Jonah, (laughs) Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, John the Baptist, Peter, James, John, Paul. You know what they all were? They were all failures. They were all utterly weak. They had moments where they all hit bottom emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. They had moments where they flatly did horrific things. We're talking, I'm not talking about just mildly difficult or bad things. We're talking about really bad things. Murder, adultery, betrayal, complete failure. Um, So God is honest in helping us to admit our failures and giving us a legitimate way to know his love from the depths of our failure and uh, to have a place to go with our failure. You know, the world and religion and philosophy, it all says when you fail, it, it, it all beats you. It all beats you down with your failure and says, put yourself back together and get back up. Um, so the world hands you a ladder to climb out of the pit. The world hands you a, a wall to climb when you fail. Make yourself better is kind of the, the world or religion's answer. But God's answer is never that. With failure, God's answer is always mercy and grace and forgiveness. It's deconstruction. He uses our failures to deconstruct us. He uses our failures to flatten us, to humble us. Because it's only in that humility that we're willing to lay ourselves out on, uh, on the surgical table of the almighty hand of God the great physician who can, through spiritual surgery, deconstruct what's broken and sinful and wretched about us. And then he puts us back together. He begins to reconstruct. He said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. And when you are converted, when when you have been deconstructed and reconstructed, when you are reclaimed and redeemed and, and brought back and initiated back into your call and your true identity in me, strengthen your brethren. He's saying, Peter, you have a big failure coming. You're going to hit rock bottom. Peter does. You know what he does. He denies the Lord and runs out and weeps bitterly. Eventually goes back to Galilee and returns to fishing. But Jesus comes to the shoreline of Galilee in John 21 and reclaims him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. But I can imagine Peter saying that in the deep shadow of his failure, thinking, how could this ever be believed? And Jesus believes him. Jesus goes with his belief, his profession, over his behavior. And he says, now feed my sheep. Go, obey me, and be who I've called you to be. And then Peter, years later, after learning all these lessons, being mightily used of God in spite of his failure, he writes in 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. For God brings down the humble, uh, brings down the proud, I'm paraphrasing, but he he lifts up, he brings up, he exalts the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. 
You see, God uses failure to bring us down, to break us of all. You know what he does? He uses failure to liberate us from ourselves, to deliver us from our own presumption and pride and arrogance and blindness. He shows us who we really are so he can show us who he really is so that our confidence will be in him and not ourselves, which finally makes us usable in his hands. And at that point, he takes over. When we trust him, when we come to him, he takes over and he recovers us and makes us useful again. Now, why do I give you all of that up front? Because David has failed and David is dealing with his sin, but he does something brilliant. He doesn't quit. He doesn't run. He doesn't give up. He doesn't think, okay, I'm never going back to church because I don't deserve to be there. He's not saying, I'm never going back to God. He doesn't want me. He would never forgive me. He's not letting those the narratives of Satan win in his mind. No, he takes his sin to his faithful shepherd, to his God, to his king, and he lays out his heart and his experience and his desires and his imaginations. He lays it all out before God, and because it's preserved as Scripture, we get to see it laid out before us. We get to see a raw human being, a broken human being, expressing his deepest most humbled, most humiliating thoughts before his loving and faithful God. He's expressing his human experiences to God, and he's asking God for grace and mercy. And this is what you and I are to do when we fail. We don't run from God, we run to him, and we cry out to him. So how does David cry out to God? We'll explore it over the next few days, but let's read it together, and then I'm going to call it for today. A Psalm of David to bring to remembrance. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. As in heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day, all, all day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth. My strength faileth. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. 
They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So here's what's beautiful about this psalm. Not only is David doing what he should do, going to God, and as you can tell, being brutally honest, and as you can see, he's in probably the deepest, darkest place that he was ever in in his life. I mean, could it be any worse than what we just read? And yet he's holding on to the hope of his salvation, and he's declaring his trust in his God. And you know what? God is going to get him through it. Uh, God's going to bring him out of it. That's what God does. He holds on to his children even in their most difficult and deep failure. So my friend, today, if you're dealing with failure, do not give up. Do not run away. Do not lose hope. Maybe grab a blank piece of paper, grab a pen, and uh, list out your experience and address it to God. See what he might do in your life. Happy Monday. We'll see you tomorrow.